should your shul rabbi tell you the person for whom you should vote? I'm Scott Kahn, and this is the Orthodox Conundrum. This is the Orthodox Conundrum on JewishCoffeeHouse.com. I'm Scott Kahn. We now stand on the cusp of an American presidential election between President Donald Trump and former Vice President Joe Biden. I turned 50 years old this week, and in my lifetime, I've never seen the electorate so polarized. People who were formerly friends now don't speak to each other because of their difference of opinion regarding who should be the commander-in-chief. It's now no longer just wrongheaded to vote for the candidate who is the incorrect candidate. It's actually seen by large sectors of the electorate as literally evil. If you vote for one candidate or the other, you are a bad person. You're going to be canceled. I won't speak with you anymore because there's something morally wrong with you. There's something fundamentally disturbing about this attitude. It's even more disturbing, however, when it comes from religious leaders. And in fact, I believe that religious leaders add fuel to that fire. By making this choice a moral choice and an expression of a person's personal morality. I spoke about my feelings regarding the mixture of Torah and politics, at least in Israel, in episode 20, which is entitled The Ends, the Means, and Religious Political Parties. I also spoke about my feelings regarding President Trump in episode 24, which was entitled Trump, Otzma, and Young Israel, a conversation with Rabbi Yecheskel Moskowitz, and I encourage you to listen to both of those episodes. But the moment I want to speak about this presidential election taking place this week, and my feeling, my very strong feeling, that rabbis and religious leaders should not be involved in telling people what to do with their vote. I'm going to quote Rabbi Ephraim Goldberg of Boca Raton, who wrote a wonderful article this week about this exact issue. He says, While I will continue to defer to and submit to great Rosh Yeshiva and Torah scholars on matters of Jewish law and philosophy, I don't want them, no matter how prominent they may be, to decree whom I must vote for, diagnose the mental status of either candidate, tell me they know with certainty who is better for the Jewish people or Israel, or to oversimplify what is a truly complicated choice. What disturbs me most about rabbinic declarations dictating how we vote and articulating with complete confidence what will happen if we don't is not just the unfair denial of people to think for themselves and draw their own legitimate conclusions, but I believe it is also a significant departure from an important Torah principle. And here Rabbi Goldberg explains that we have to believe, and part of our faith is to believe that God controls ultimately what goes on in the world and that the decisions by political leaders are in the hands of God. And by overstating how important it is to vote for one candidate or the other, one effectively is also denying God's role in history. I think this is absolutely right. I think this is completely correct. If a person is a clergy person, if a person stands in a position of rabbinic or religious leadership, he should not tell people how they should or must vote. Now, that does not mean that a rabbi cannot give his opinion. That does not mean that a person in a position of religious authority cannot express what he believes to be true about either candidate. That's very different, however, from implying that a certain vote is required by religious law or at least by religious values. And unfortunately, this move towards religious justification and perhaps religious demand for one candidate or the other appears on both sides. This is not exclusively Republican, and it's also not exclusively Democratic. It takes place on both sides of the political divide. Now, does that mean the Torah has nothing to say about which candidate we should vote for? Of course it does. 
Torah has to apply to all parts of our lives. That's very different, however, from saying there's a psak halacha, an actual decision according to religious law, whom a person is required to vote for. Torah provides us with values, morals, and ideology, and our job is to apply those values and morals and ideology to the candidate we believe is most likely to make those values and morals and ideology a dominant part of the national discourse and behavior. But determining who that candidate is and saying this is the only candidate who represents those values and morals and ideology, that's a dangerous game and can cause people to look askance at Torah itself. What's the danger of rabbis or religious institutions becoming involved in politics? There are many possible answers. I'm going to give three simple examples. The first one is this. It's actually a degradation of the Torah. Torah becomes just one more political chip. Torah ends up looking like something which you are using for your own political devices rather than following the Torah and taking it wherever it guides you. To paraphrase Rav Norman Lamzatzal, you can make with the Torah some sort of good vort, a nice of our Torah that's not to be taken too seriously. But once you start invoking the decision-making power of halacha, then you have a serious problem and you are making the Torah something which it is not. You are making it lowly. Second of all, by using the Torah to back your preferred candidate, you are pushing away those who disagree. And in almost all cases, there are people who are religious who will disagree with you. When the power of a religious institution is used to back a specific candidate or a specific party or a specific political position, people who vote for someone else or a different party's candidate or who disagree with that political position find themselves implicitly disenfranchised. Let's think about the Young Israel Dinner, which I referenced in that episode 24. It took place over a year and a half ago, and it was the subject of my interview with Rabbi Yecheskel Moskowitz. The Young Israel Dinner, as reported by the press, effectively became a Trump rally. Young Israel is an organization of synagogues. If it's about being pro-Israel, I accept. That's an exception. If it's about synagogue matters, of course, go ahead and do it. That's what it's for. But once an organization, which is supposed to be an umbrella organization for many different congregations, when that organization begins to support a specific candidate and dedicates its dinner largely to that candidate, you are now making everyone who disagrees not part of your group. And your group is not supposed to be a political group. Your group is supposed to be a synagogue group. You are disenfranchising Orthodox Jews and making them feel they are not part of your orthodoxy. And your orthodoxy is republicanism in that particular case. Now, if your organization is the religious Republicans of America, then of course you're not disenfranchising anyone. But when you're young Israel, an organization representing shuls, how do you dare to turn your annual dinner into a Trump rally? And let me be clear, this is not about Trump. The same holds true should another organization back someone else in such an open way. Let me give a very simple example. I assume many of you heard the almost comical travesty of a Haftarah that was performed at Reform Temple near Tamid in Bloomfield, New Jersey, this past Rosh Hashanah. The rabbi and the cantor offered the congregants watching online the choice of either the standard Rosh Hashanah Haftarah or else a new Haftarah, made up of selected quotes from the late Ruth Bader Ginsburg, and sung in English to the Haftarah tune. Watching this, aside from feeling sadness at witnessing a belief that the words of the Supreme Court justice, however talented, are on the same level as the prophets of Israel, words read for thousands of years, apart from that theological travesty, it's also very troubling to think of a less obvious point. What about those people who weren't in agreement with many of Ruth Bader Ginsburg's positions? They're effectively being told that they're like the people in Yirmiyahu's time who rejected the words of the prophet. 
And if you do the same for Ruth Bader Ginsburg, isn't that the implicit message? You're rejecting that which is absolutely true. Potential disenfranchisement thus comes from both sides. And when we see it, we must reject it absolutely. My third point, again, this is not comprehensive. These are just three ideas. But my final point today does relate, however, directly to Donald Trump. I have made no secret of the fact that I do not like President Trump. I voted for Joe Biden in this election, and I voted for Hillary Clinton in 2016. And again, I'm not speaking as a rabbi or a clergyman or anything else. This is my personal opinion. If you feel that Donald Trump is the best candidate, or the better of two evils, or a fine president, then I believe you should vote for him. Really. If you say, I know that he has a bullying streak. I know that his language has coarsened discourse. I know that he is a serial adulterer. But I'm not voting for a Rebbe. I'm voting for a president who can be an effective chief executive, and I like what he has done so far, and I trust that he will continue to do that. Well, I will heartily disagree with you, but I fully respect that decision. However, too often, the attitude just described deteriorates into a defense of the person and actions which to a religious Jew cannot be defended. When Trump has bullied individuals with whom he disagrees, and doesn't respect that his power far exceeds theirs, and doesn't understand or care about the hurt that he causes. And you can listen to episode 24 for a good example of what I mean. That is not defensible. Trump is a serial adulterer. I just turned 50 years old. I remember well his penchant for showing up on the covers of magazines and New York newspapers as he flouted monogamy and flaunted, yes, flaunted his adultery. This has nothing to do with Joe Biden, so please don't say but Joe Biden. This has nothing to do with Hillary Clinton, so don't say but Hillary Clinton. This has nothing to do with how effective he is as a president. This has nothing to do with his support for Israel. This has nothing to do with but the Democrats are bad. All of those may be true, but that's not the point. His opponent or opponents are completely irrelevant to this particular discussion. It's one thing to work for his election. It's one thing to support his election. It's one thing to vote for him. It's something else entirely, however, to celebrate the person and his actions that are not acceptable. And very often, I'm afraid, and I have seen, that distinction is lost. I have seen people from Jews, upstanding Jews, defend actions that in any other person they would condemn. And I mean the same thing. If Joe Biden were to do any of those things, you have to condemn it in him. Of course, I'm not talking about Trump per se. I'm talking about Trump because that's the experience we've had. When indefensible behavior is considered normative and defensible, we are falling apart. We are losing our moral sense. And when Torah personalities do that, when they don't only celebrate his election, but celebrate the person, again, a person who is an admitted serial adulterer, celebrating the person, what do you think that makes Torah look like? What do you think it makes Orthodox Jews look like? What does it make you look like when you do that? Are you really able to celebrate that person as a person? When you celebrate those qualities and defend those qualities or dismiss them as not important, you are saying that this is not a moral issue. You are saying that these things are allowed. You are saying that you can bully. You are saying that we don't really care if you're an adulterer. You are saying that the other things which are behaviors, not political positions, but behaviors that we as religious Jews find abhorrent are not really abhorrent to us. And I have read that some evangelical Christians feel the exact same way, that their authority, their stature has been undermined by defending 
that which is a violation of religious norms. And again, I'm not saying you can't vote for him. I'm not saying you can't support him. I'm not saying that you shouldn't try and get him elected if you believe that's right, as much as I disagree. But you can't lose that distinction between supporting the candidate whom you think would be a better president and defending actions which are contrary to Torah. And that line has been crossed again and again and again. And in this, I firmly assert that any Orthodox Jew who believes that Trump's behavior is acceptable is at best ignoring open violations of what we Torah Jews have always asserted about the way we need to talk and the way we need to behave. Vote for him if you like, but don't let the support for the politician as a politician turn into support for the actions of a human being which cannot be defended. I have heard people with whom I'm very close say, oh, all politicians do this. I've got news for you. I just turned 50. It's the third time I've said it. I'm guessing that I have a memory that's longer than most people who are listening. And no, it is not true. This is not what politicians have always done. This is different. These behaviors are different. And don't try to justify them. Vote for him, but don't make him into a person which he's not. Don't turn ugly behavior into something we can ignore. Because then we are actually turning Torah into something which supports behavior that's abhorrent. And has the defense of his behaviors had an effect on us? Absolutely. The way that discourse is conducted is fundamentally different from what it was even four years ago. There has been a normalization of ugly talk, of bullying talk. There has been a normalization of a way of dealing with other people, which was never true before. And why is that true? Why has it been normalized? Not only because people see the president doing it, but also because they see their religious leaders justifying that behavior. And that has tremendous effect and turns into a massive chil Hashem a massive desecration of the divine name. Now, are there exceptions? Are there places where rabbis or religious leaders can support a candidate? Yes, I believe there are exceptions. When one candidate is openly anti-Israel, for example, when one candidate is a clear anti-Semite. For example, I think that Chief Rabbi Mervis of the United Kingdom was right to denounce Jeremy Corbyn and to say to vote for his opponent, Boris Johnson. Jeremy Corbyn was clearly anti-Israel, clearly held anti-Semitic attitudes and allowed anti-Semitism to grow in the British Labor Party. He cavorted with terrorists. In that situation, it's very clear to me that Rabbi Mervis was absolutely correct in calling for Jews to vote for his opponent. But where is that line drawn? The best answer is probably that expressed by Justice Potter Stewart in the case Jacob Ellis versus Ohio in defining pornography, where he said, I know it when I see it. And in a case like Jeremy Corbyn, we know it when we see it. This election between Trump and Biden does not rise to that level. And my guess is that in cases where we know it, there's very little need for rabbinic endorsement anyway. I assume that almost anyone who would listen to a religious authority figure would know in advance what he believes anyway. We have to err on the side of caution not to allow rabbinic authorities to be involved in these decisions calling for their congregation to vote for a specific candidate. Err on the side of caution not to involve yourself in politics. Give your opinion, but don't make a psaac. Don't make a rabbinic decision about it. And don't support that which cannot be defended. Ultimately, I believe firmly that there better be a really strong reason to allow Torah and politics to mix, or else don't do it at all. Support Israel? Of course. Support the causes that you care about? Yes. Telling people whom you support and why? Absolutely. But endorsing a specific candidate and throwing the weight of your religious authority and institution behind that candidate, no matter who he is, is a very dangerous game. You are taking a chance on making the Torah look foolish and shallow. 
You are taking a chance on disenfranchising people. You are taking a chance on Chilul Hashem. And that's a risk which you better think long and hard about before taking. As I mentioned, I voted for Biden. I really hope that he wins and wins by a lot. I hope that Trump loses in a landslide. I hope that the norms that Trump has stepped upon will be restored, though I believe that it will take a long time to get us back to where we need to be. I think that Trump has been very damaging for democratic norms and for the United States of America, and even for its relationship with Israel, which is probably a good topic for a different podcast. However, if somebody disagrees with me and that person votes for Trump, I fully respect that decision and would never say that the Torah demands that you vote the way that I think is right. That is not the Torah way. Torah and politics should only mix in the most extreme of situations. And at the same time, we also dare not defend behavior which should not be defended. Thank you for joining me. Remember to go to jewishcoffeehouse.com for lots of great podcasts, including Intimate Judaism, The Maimonides Minute, Chuchmat Nashim, The Francisca Show, Let My People Eat, and more. You can also find my blog, The Scott Conversation, there. And please consider becoming a Jewish Coffeehouse patron by going to our Patreon page. The link is in the description of this podcast. For a small monthly donation, you decide how much or how little. You can get extra episodes, articles, merch, and more while also supporting our work. So please check it out today. I'm Scott Kahn, and this has been the Orthodox Conundrum on JewishCoffeeHouse.com. <laughs>